0: Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is what we are looking at this morning, Ananias and Sapphira. But before uh, we get to the message, uh, I want to play a video for you, and let me make this disclaimer on this video. I listened to it closely, and it is subtitled, and you have to be careful with the internet uh, if you don't know that. I don't think there is any foul language in it, but in case I missed one, I listened to it like twice or three times to be sure. But in case there's something that I couldn't hear on my computer that uh, showed up on, it will show up on our PA system. Uh, I apologize. I don't think there is. I'm confident that there isn't, but just in case, I don't want you know people saying Michael showing cussing videos. You know, I, it was purely an accident. Uh, but watch this video. It's gonna be cool, you see that slot? No way, he can't get to it. You are wrong, my friend. <laughs> You're
1: a kid. No. He can Not go past. through anything
0: that his beak uh, will fit through. When you watch, he's gonna go right through there. Look at him. He's going for it. I'm telling you right now. And watch, he'll change color too big big he's, he's he is kind of turning white on the one side nice next not he is just uh working his way through I'm dead serious oh, Look at him look, look at
1: that he's popping
0: through yeah all the way through it now. Except for, oh, just the his nose, yeah. Now oh, watch. Oh, he's, uh, he's realizing he's in the water. There he goes. Wow. Wow. Did you see that it said a 600-pound octopus can go through a hole the size of a quarter? That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, I could preach a sermon on creation right here uh, and, and because of that, but I'm not. That octopus didn't need a very big opening, did he? Uh, what was on that boat looked like it was a slit, what, an inch, maybe an inch and a half wide and three or four inches tall, and he got through there, didn't need a big spot at all. A mouse... I understand, can get through any hole it can get its head in. It doesn't matter how big the mouse's body is, and I actually saw a video that I'm not going to show you of hamsters doing that very thing. Big old fat hamster got his head under the door jamb. That's all he needed. He just flattened his belly out and, uh, and, and squeezed underneath. It's amazing, those per- two particular animals, mice and octopi, uh, what they can get through what little bitty, tiny opening they can get through if they so desire. The same is true of Satan. He does not need much of an opening in order to gain entrance into our hearts. doesn't need much of an opening to gain entrance into our church. And this morning's message is entitled, Satan in the Church. Ananias and Sapphira is our introduction to that very real, not just possibility, but reality of the church. Uh, I'm not sure who exactly uh, this quote came from, but I remember in the 90s a Christian music artist named Steve Taylor who sang uh, part of his song, Give the devil an inch and he'll make himself a ruler. Uh, Think about that. Make himself a ruler. I thought it was clever. But see, that's a double entendre because he'll make himself the ruler of your life. See how that works? All right, good, good. There's our, our English lesson for the day. But it's true. He does not need much room in our hearts, in our lives, or in our church in order to take over, in order to get all the way in. He just needs a little space. And that's what we see here in the early church, in first church, with Ananias and Sapphira. Read with me Acts 5, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's one in front of you uh, in the pew rack, and uh, if you read along, it'll follow exactly what's on the screen. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. "'Tell me,' Peter asked her, "'did you sell the land for this price?' "'Yes,' she said, "'for that price.' Then Peter said to her, "'Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord?' "'Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out.' Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband." Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. Interesting passage of scripture, right? While this and other portions of chapters 5 through 7 deal with some internal church issues, eventually we're going to get to the selection of deacons uh, in the church It's still focusing on the church in the community of Jerusalem, and that's what this portion of Acts has been since about chapter 3 as we've looked through Acts. This is the church in the community, And, and Luke is still talking about that. These internal issues have external effects. It always does. What goes on in here, and not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, has external effects on what happens in our community through us, and so... Uh, Luke is focusing on that, some particulars, but he's still trying to get us to see what their responsibility is to the community. And, and he ends. Uh, he begins chapter 5. Remember, there were no chapters when Luke wrote it, uh, no verses. Um, that, but at the beginning of, that, beginning of that verse lets us know he's contrasting here uh, to Barnabas. And as much as Barnabas was an example of dedication to the mission of And mutual care, remember we talked about that two weeks ago when we talked about Barnabas, that passage of Scripture, uh, the last section of uh, chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. We talked about the mission and mutual care. They were committed to both. And as much as Barnabas was an example of dedication to those two, Ananias and Sapphira exemplified the opposite. Luke is intentionally presenting us a contrast between the two extreme types in the church in this day. And this is a very difficult passage. It's not difficult to translate. There's not even really any question about its place in uh, in Acts, it's not like somebody saying, oh, they added that later because they wanted to be mean or whatever. It's, it's not, it's none of that. It's just a difficult passage to understand. I mean, understanding's easy. They lied, they died. I mean, that's, that's simple enough, but oh my gosh, in the grand scheme of the early church, why is God taking people out? Well, we're going to look at that. And it is, as I said, it's just difficult to get through. So let's Start at the beginning, good place to do it. Ananias and Sapphira, they were apparently uh, fairly wealthy, wealthy enough to own land. They uh, decided to sell a piece of property. They were following in the, the footsteps here of Barnabas and others who were doing the same thing. Um, we don't know their motives. Uh, they're, they're, with what they ended up doing, it's, we kind of question were they kind of caught up in the moment. Uh, hey, oh, we're going to do what Barnabas and everybody else is doing. We're going to we're going to sell some property, and we're going to give the money to the church, and everybody will write about us in the Bible too. They didn't know that, but you know they'll they'll think highly of us. And but then when they sold that property, maybe they realized, wow, we got a much better deal for that than we thought we were going to. And so instead of giving it all, they looked at it and said, well, we can pay off the car, we can pay off the house, we can. We can do a couple of things. We can go on vacation, nice trip to Bora Bora or something. I mean, we can do some pretty impressive stuff if we only give part of it. Maybe that was their motivation, maybe not. But whatever their motivation, they sell the property and they keep back part of the proceeds. Verses 1 and 2 tell us. Now, we established two weeks ago that what we're talking about here is not communism. Paul, rather Peter is going to express that to us, though he wasn't thinking communism, in verse 4. So the beginning of the passage seems rather innocuous. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. They kept back part of the proceeds and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we know it's not communism. We know that this isn't a requirement uh, for them to do these things. It's not like the Qumran community at the time where we get... uh, the, uh, the, the scrolls, the, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, the community of the Essenes, they were contemporary with Jesus and the uh, early church there, in order to join the community, you had to sell everything. And if you didn't, you were punished for like a year. You couldn't eat with the group, and you got either a half or a quarter food portions for that year if you didn't sell everything when you joined the community. It wasn't that kind of thing here. This was, we're going to see, completely voluntary. So it seems just, what's the big deal? They sold it, and they gave part of the money. So it seems really innocuous, except... That, that word kept back probably isn't, or that, those two words, kept back, maybe aren't as strong as they could be. It's a, it's a financial term, even in that day, and it was used, probably maybe better, not translated, or they would have translated it this way, but understood better as embezzlement. That's the kind of word that is. It's a pretty rare word, uh, in uh, certainly in the uh, Bible, but just in general, it was it was kind of business specific. So what Peter is saying here is you embezzled from the church. Now we think of embezzlement as, as you know as the offering is counted. Uh, whoever's doing it, and nobody does it here, so I'm not pointing any fingers or anything. I'm just telling you it has happened in the church. Two for the church, one for me. Two for the church, one for me. Whatever it is, whatever the bill is. Two $1 bills, one 100 for me. Two, you know, how, whatever. That's embezzlement. That would be kind of what we would think of. Peter is saying, you embezzled from the church before you ever gave the money. When they made the decision to hold back, they embezzled. So if you think about that video a little bit, that octopus has got one arm through that hole. They, they planned this. They decided to do this, to, to hold back, to embezzle these funds. One arm through the hole. And then he go, Peter goes on, or rather Luke goes on as he describes what happened, that, he, that Ananias did this with his wife's knowledge. Now we've got two scenes here. We've got verses 1 through uh, 6, that's about Ananias, and 7 through 11, that's about Sapphira. But we are told here, in order to introduce Sapphira and tell us kind of where this might be going, that uh, he, his wife knew what was going on with his wife's knowledge. If that phrase is important, and it is because it's in the Bible, if that phrase is important, then suddenly the phrase kept back seems a little less innocuous. Luke's setting us up for something here getting us ready for more than just uh, this was no big deal. They sold and they tithed on it or something like that. Um, If he's telling us wife agreed, okay, they talked about this. This was a planned thing. Maybe there's more here than we know. Well, this would be the octopus with two arms through that hole. It's feeling the water. Two of those arms down in the water. He knows he's got... Uh, he's he's getting closer to his goal, and then uh, it says that they took this money that they had sold that they gotten from selling the property, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is not just some uh, random phrase. We we see this back at the end of chapter four. This was an offering, an act of worship. To lay it at the, the apostles' feet was to give it. To God. And in this offering, in this act of worship, it was done with sinful intent. They didn't come and worship with a pure heart. They didn't show up in order to experience God through their giving, through their, through their, through their worship by doing this. They had sinful intentions even in the very act of worship. Just by being there and laying it on the altar, or rather laying it at the, uh, the, the apostles' feet, they were sinning because their motive behind it was to damage. They wouldn't have thought of it this way, but as we're going to see here in a little bit, their motive was really to damage the church. And Peter knew. Uh, Peter speaks up in verse 3, says, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart why has Satan filled your heart this is the first record of Satan in the church it certainly won't be the last Satan goes to church more than all of us combined he is here when we're not he is working when you aren't he is on the job when you're resting Satan comes here more than any of us and is a part of the church more than any of us in order to disrupt what the church is doing. Get us off the mission and mutual care. And that's the image here that Luke is trying to get us to understand. First time Satan shows up, recorded, but it won't be the last. And he does it right on the heels of a series of great ministry triumphs. I mean, look... If we look back through chapter, all the way back to chapter 2, all the way back to the sermon at Pentecost and go through and 3,000 were added and Solomon's colonnade, 3,000 were added and, and uh, more heard and were added to the church daily and all the ministry that was going on, discipleship, the, the, the growth, the, the fellowship, the love, the, the selling of goods in order to help each other, the, the willingness to, to do uh, so much for each other and as we looked at uh, two weeks ago, it was a great church. It is our model for what we want to be and yet at the, uh, in the midst of all this wonderful stuff... Even the persecution, even the Sanhedrin saying you can't preach in that name, and then the prayers of the people going up, and the boldness coming on the the church to preach in the name of Jesus anyway. In the midst of all that, Satan shows up, and that is typical Satan. Satan will show up to steal the joy, to distract from the mission, and that is his only purpose you know, Satan's fine with us coming to church this morning. has no problem with that. He's fine with us singing songs. He's fine with you listening to a sermon. He's fine with you praying, as long as it makes no difference on your heart now and your life tomorrow. Perfectly good with it. As a matter of fact, he loves moral church members. He just doesn't want saved ones. And if he ends up with saved ones in the church, that's a problem. But as long as they're not making sure anybody else gets saved, he's winning. That's typical Satan. And at this point, if we go back to our video, the octopus is all, through, all the way through the hole now. He's, he's in. He's in the water. He's done what he intended to do. He is fully present, and now he is fully working his magic. If we want to call it that. So, why has Satan filled your heart, Ananias? To lie to the Holy Spirit. His actions hurt the church. Obviously, I mean, this, this we're going to see that the, the result, the judgment was to protect the church. He acted to hurt the church, but the sin was not against the church. The sin was not against the apostles. The sin was not against the, the body. They, they didn't conceive of the church as a building at all at this point, it was strictly a people. His sin was not against them, it was against the Holy Spirit who indwells the church. I think we could take it further, though Luke doesn't here. He does enough to, to mention one uh, member of the Trinity. But I think we could take it further and say he lies to Jesus, the groom, uh, when he, as he hurts his bride. He lies to God as he hurts the kingdom. We can see that Ananias was not merely messing up. But yet, Satan had entered the church. And Peter says, you know, why has Satan filled your heart to the light of the Holy Spirit, to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? He he tells him it was yours to do what you would before you sold it. It The money was yours to do what you would after you sold it. But then he says there at the end of verse 4, Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? Now hold on, Peter. You said Satan, you said the devil made him do it. Flip Wilson, right? Is that the comedian from the 60s that uh, would do something bad and always say the devil made me do it? That's, that's basically what uh, Peter is counteracting here, or, or countering here. Yes, Satan filled your heart, Peter, but you know whose fault this is? You know who did it? You. You did it, Ananias. Satan filled your heart, but you made the choice. You decided. The responsibility is Ananias's here to do this act, to do this sin against the church, to to lie to the Holy Spirit. So there's no demon possession here. There's there's no control here. Uh, the, The question that's debated is, were Ananias and Sapphira actually believers? Probably so. Uh, in, in, in the early church, at this point, it's not likely folks were just, they, they weren't cultural Christians that didn't gain you anything to be a part of the local church. You didn't move you up in elections or, or business or anything like that. So, very unlikely that these were unbelievers who had infiltrated. These were believers who uh, believed the lie of Satan. We can go all the way back. Genesis one, two, and find the same thing happening. Believing the lie of Satan, did God really say it started with? And and here, probably somewhere in in their heart, in their head, Ananias and Sapphira heard the same question: Did God really say to be honest? Did did God really say to seek unity? See, that prior to the pledge, and that's really what this was, Ananias and Sapphira had pledged to do something for, the, for God. Pledged, in this case, to give a certain amount of money. Uh, probably not a certain amount of money. That's kind, that might be where the problem comes from. They had pledged, we're going to sell the property and give the money for it. And then apparently they sold the property and decided they wanted to keep some of it. The pledge, uh, prior to the pledge, the land and money were his to do with what he would, but after, after he had promised to God, after he had pledged to God, it was no longer his to do with as he pleased. We could make a pretty quick application here. When we give our life to Christ, it is no longer ours to do with as we please. We have pledged our lives to Christ. Therefore, our lives are his. And any time we are not doing with our life what he tells us to do, or are doing with our life what he has told us not to do, we are breaking our pledge. But We won't spend too much time on that right now. Ananias, upon hearing Peter's statement, dropped dead, and great fear came on all who heard. Interesting the difference between that phrase here and the phrase later on after Sapphira does the same thing. What we see here is immediate judgment for this sin. One of the reasons why it's questioned. You notice Peter never said, Ananias, do you want to repent of this? It was never an option to, to fix it that is recorded for Ananias. But you know what did happen? God had people's attention. Folks started looking up. The miracles were cool, right? I mean, they prayed for boldness and the room shook. You know, they they stood there at Pentecost. Uh, outside the in the courtyard and 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 uh, while first while they were in the room the the sound of a wind and something like flames on their heads and they wow this is impressive and they preached and, and Peter preached and people heard it in their own language and miracle after miracle and the the kid the guy who was born lame and had been so for forty something years uh, he got healed y'all this is amazing stuff but this got their attention because this was church people in this case church person dead because of their sin people started to be aware Peter uh, three hours later Sapphira comes in she doesn't know anything that's gone on yet and Peter meets her with a question did you sell the land for this price now we don't know what he meant by this price it's assumed what he meant was did you sell the land for the amount that you gave to the church Seems like she's given her uh, an opportunity for honesty. Did you really sell the land for $1,000? $10,000? Maybe more, $100,000. Did you really sell it for that much? Her answer, because she's unaware she's been caught. And, and notice in the scripture there's no, no uh, informant There's nobody telling Peter, "Hey, did you know that Ananias and Sapphira didn't sell?" You know, there was no um, there was no prayer request chain that got that around. Um, They this was God's ability, God's work in the life of Peter as the apostle, as the pastor, then to know what was going on, and she's not aware of it, and she doubles down on it. Yes, that's what we sold it for. How often, church, have we had the opportunity to right a wrong and receive mercy, but don't and receive judgment? How often have we seen that in our lives? Back to our video, we could have stopped that octopus at at one arm or, or, or two arms, but we just let that sucker slide on through. And there he is, there's Satan, fully, uh, not controlling again, not, not possessing, but fully influencing what we do, even as Christians. And Peter asks her a little different question, did you sell the land for this price? Yes. Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, she tested the Spirit of the Lord, we don't want to spend too much time on that. There's not a lot of difference there that we need to really focus on. But what we do need to understand here is that it appears by this line of questioning, they knew their actions were wrong. This wasn't just a, a uh, wow, this isn't a big deal. We all expected to get X amount and we got X plus plus. Y, so we're going to keep Y and, and just give X because, you know, that's all we said we we're going to do. It's not, doesn't seem to be that innocuous. It's much, much more major than that. They knew their actions were wrong. They knew what they were doing was lying to the Holy Spirit and therefore going to hurt their church. But they did not care. They did what they had decided to do anyway because Satan had entered their heart. And they had let him, we would say worm his way in or weasel his way in. But this morning I'm going to say octopus his way in. Just so you keep that image in your head. They let him in. And he wrapped his arms around them and held on tight. If you've ever seen the videos, occasionally there's one where they're scuba diving and an octopus will get on the scuba diver's head And before you know it, that octopus will have the mask off and everything out because they're strong when those suckers connect. And and that's the way Satan works. Once he gets his arms around you and wraps them and those suckers dig in, it's hard to get that joker off. And it's hard to breathe. And it's hard to survive. They did these things anyway. verses 10 and 11 tell us that instantly she dropped dead at his feet. Ironically, she dropped dead and landed where the pledged offering should have gone. Uh, It's it's an interesting image. I don't know that we can get too much theology from it, but it's just interesting to think about that where they should have come and placed their pledge, God placed their life. Remember, as Christians... We're supposed to put our lives at God's feet and say it's all yours to use as you see fit. And here we see that God demands that. Uh, In this case, quite literally. And then verse 11 tells us great fear came on the whole church and all who heard. Verse uh, 5 tells us and great fear came on all who heard. And they add the caveat here of the whole church. Church. Now, I'm not sure why great fear didn't come on the whole church with Ananias. Um, I mean, we could talk about maybe it's the, the 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 husband-wife relationship that suddenly everybody knew. Wait, what one? The decision that one makes affects the other. Uh, it, we're, who knows what's what's behind the fact that the church was fearful now and maybe not so much then, but. I think Luke is probably just emphasizing the point, because if great fear came on all who heard the first time, that would include the people in the church. Great fear came on all the people the second time, and Luke says, and just so you understand, the church is now afraid. And that is a good thing. Fear, real fright of what God can do is a necessity in the church. We sometimes... And preachers are the worst. We, we want to take a verse like, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we want to say that word fear there means reverence or respect. And certainly that is an aspect of it. But you know what else fear means? Fear. The word here is phobos. Where we would get phobia. Arachnophobia is not respect of spiders. It's not reverence of spiders, is it? Snakeophobia. Herpophobia? Herpetologist is a snake? I don't know. That's not respect of snakes. That's fear of snakes. That's fear of spiders. That is, we have a friend uh, who just posted a picture a couple of days ago. They live outside of Seguin. Um, in, in, in her kitchen was where the picture was taken, was a, a chicken snake, looked like about that long, in her kitchen, and she wasn't going to grab it, and it apparently got away, and a friend came over, and said, uh, she, he found, she said he found it finally, uh, kind of accidentally as he was looking around, in her closet, wrapped around the hook where her towel was hanging that would have made an interesting end to the shower if she had pulled that towel off that hook. Her response, though, to the snake being in the kitchen and her husband being at work was, I called Keith, but it doesn't matter because I'm just going to burn it down. There's a snake in the house, burn it down. That's fear, right? Some people are that way with spiders. There's a spider, burn it. That's the best way to kill a spider is to burn the house down. So we can't say this is just reverence or respect. This is fear of what God will do. And, and, and in that realm of possibility, and I'm going to say this again later on, in the realm of what, of what possibly God will do is strike people down for their disobedience. It's in that realm of possibility. Now, there's one other thing we need to notice. This is the first time we've mentioned Satan in Acts, first time we see Satan enter the church. This verse is the first use of the word church in Acts, first time it's been used. And I want to ask Luke, or in this case, God, since really, you know, this is God's word, not Luke's word. Why use the church in such a negative situation? The word church in such a negative situation. You had all of these great things, and and uh, Peter preached, and three thousand people became the church, or the church met and they had prayer and and Bible study and and learned with the apostles and they broke bread from house to house the church did that or or uh, when Peter uh, and John preached in Solomon's colonnade and 3,000 people joined the church or they went back to the church and the church prayed and the church was filled with boldness and the, and, 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 the, the, and the Holy Spirit shook the building where the church was meeting or, you know all these great places that God could have told Luke to first introduce the word church, and yet God chooses to first introduce the word church where it says, and great fear came on the whole church. It's just not the way I would have written the Bible. God didn't ask me, so we have to think about why He did it. And, and, and one possible reason is that in such a negative situation, The use of the word church here emphasizes the need for the church to grow in unity and purity. If he had used church in all those extremely positive situations, we'd have been like, oh yeah, that's 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 uh that's the way it should be, right? And 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 good job, church, and wow, this is really great what the church is doing. But suddenly we have Satan in the church, and this is the first time God uses that word for this group of believers, and it is a an antithesis. It's a uh it's him saying All those things, chapter 2 through 4, were great. And yes, that is the church because that's what I'm talking about here is what has developed over those three uh, uh, chapters. But the problem is that the church is made up of people. And the church is going to have problems. And Satan is going to be in the church. So therefore, church, be afraid. Be afraid First, of the entree of Satan into what is going on in your midst. But secondly, be afraid of God if you are going to allow Satan to influence your decisions that you make in the church. And that's our passage. But it leaves us with some questions. Remember, this is a difficult passage, and you, 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 interpreters and uh, pastors have wondered, what, how do we then apply that? today, and I I, I think I see a few ways we can do that here. First of all, I I came to the, the question, how many of our sins seem innocuous and unseen? Ananias and Sapphira, I'm sure, thought, you know, we sold, we didn't sell the land to a church member. We didn't sell it to anybody, Peter and John No, so things will be okay, right? uh, We'll sell it. Wow, we got more money. All right, let's keep some of this. Let's give that to the church, and everybody's gonna think, "Wow, that—that's probably what the land sold for. That's plenty enough." They thought it was innocuous. They thought they just kept back, but they embezzled. How many of our little sins seem innocuous or unseen? A, A little pride, a little gossip. A little arrogance, a little lust, a little lie, a little duplicity, a little disunity, a little backbiting. And I think we could go on and on and on with that list. Just a little. Nobody's going to know. It's just these few people. It's just my friends. It's, it's good for the church seems innocuous, it seems unseen, and yet nothing is unseen to God. No sin is hidden. There is no little sin. Satan, the octopus, gets that one arm out, and if he touches water, if he gets a connection, if he wraps just a little bit around you, here he comes, all of it. Do what he can with you. What else do we see here? We see that when the church moves forward in faith and action, which we are going to define as success, success is not increased numbers. Success is not increased giving. Success is not any of those things. Success is faithfulness to what God has called us to do, acting on those things God has put before us, joining him in his work. So when the church moves forward in faith and action, quote, success That's when Satan attacks. I think we can see that clearly from this passage. We had a great artisan week. Wonderful artisan week. It was was incredible to watch the kids, to walk through here, to to see them engaged, to to see the, the Facebook... Buzz and the so, the questions. So when are y'all going to do that again? And and the adults that are saying, Hey, can we have an artisan week too? I want to learn to sew. I want to learn shop. I want to, you know, all these things happening. Churches saying, Is that how are y'all doing that? All all this wonderful stuff. The, the the children being discipled. See, getting kids to work with their hands, and and and, and an adult believer using scripture through this time of woodworking or painting and, 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 and taking what they're making and, and, and applying it. See, we're making this just like, and this is different from his and hers, and woodworking's different from sewing. And just like these things are different, but they're all creative, God has creatively placed different people in our church. We are different, and yet he's put us together. All these wonderful opportunities, disciple. A great week, and then Satan drops a bomb. Just, and it might not be anything big. Satan, he does do big things. But he also loves to do small things. Death by a thousand cuts, right? And a great artisan week, and then duplicity and undermining show up. And pain, and, 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 and you get to where, you, that's what you're thinking about. And if you saw my Facebook posts uh, this week, uh, that—that's what was going on. It was we had this great week, and something happened, and I was like, "Yeah, just, just, oh!" But, but after after a little bit of that, I got to thinking, no, no, not today, Satan. It's too much good going on, too much good going on. Not just this week, but too much good going on in our church for you to to distract to steal the joy of what God is doing in this place. Not going to happen. That's the way Satan works. That's the way he attacks. And what else do we see here? We see that when we seek to hurt the church by our words and actions, we are actually attacking God. We are lying to the Spirit when we do things that will intentionally hurt the church. And what we also see is that the results of that Death or removal is in the realm of possibility. I've heard story after story from multiple churches. Even this one, I've heard stories from our past of people that were the root cause of running off a pastor or uh, other issues, this church and others, and within a year, two, three years, they were dead, They had tremendous heartache. It's not just a first century thing for God to judge his people for attacking his church. It is a today thing. And it is going to continue. Because the next point I think we can see is that God takes seriously attacks on his church. This is God's church. This is his church. It's not mine. It's not yours And Houston River is not Lonnie Gothrop's or those church members. And First Maplewood is not Jeremy Blocker's or those church members. They are God's churches, and he takes seriously attacks on his church. And that's the image we've got to walk away with from this passage, is that it is not a light thing to attack God's church. Certainly not a thing that goes without punishment. And then I think the last point here is that a church succeeds in unity and trust through commitment to the mission and mutual care. Barnabas. It fails in duplicity and disunity through ignoring the mission and mutual care. Ananias and Sapphira. That's why God told Luke to contrast these two. Barnabas, all about the mission, all about mutual care. And that church was succeeding because of the unity and trust that was in it. But then Satan shows up. Satan is in the church. And the church fails if Satan is not corralled, if the people are not raised up, if the people are not changed, if the people continue on their way. It fails in duplicity and disunity when the mission and mutual care are ignored. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. Their mind was not on the mission, reaching the world with the gospel. Their mind was not on mutual care, coming together and helping each other and loving each other. Their mind was on themselves and what they wanted. And they brought that into the church, and Satan led them to do it. And they were immediately judged for it. What the big question, the big application... Who are you? Are you Barnabas? Or are you Ananias and Sapphira? Are you about the mission and mutual care? Or are you about your own ways? Your own desires? And your own preferences? Is this God's church? Or is this your church? Is this God's church? Or is this my church? I want to be Barnabas. Too often, Ananias and Sapphira show up in my life, and I think they do probably in yours too, if we're honest. But Barnabas is who I want to be, focused on the mission and mutual care. Ananias had the opportunity for repentance. I think even though Peter didn't, didn't ask him the question that he asked Sapphira, I think that was his opportunity when he showed up and gave the money for when, when, when Peter started talking for Ananias to say oh, oh, oh no, okay yeah, no, that's not all, here, here's some more here's the rest of it and he could have had the rescue from judgment but he didn't take it believer, today you have the same opportunity for repentance and rescue for, from judgment we all have that same opportunity, opportunity for repentance. See, the question is—I uh, don't know why that has a question mark. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, that's why. What are you doing that you say is good for the church, but in your heart you know it's hurting the church? What? What are you doing to, in your mind, build up, but you're tearing down? Here's our story. Here's our lesson. Take the opportunity to repent and turn from that. But this lesson is not just for believers, not just for church members. This lesson is for unbelievers as well. Unbeliever, your judgment is eternal. I I don't believe Ananias and Sapphira experienced eternal judgment. I believe they were saved. So upon their death, they went into the presence of the Lord. I believe that. I I think Scripture at least implies that from uh, some of the things that are said and some of the things that aren't said. But unbeliever, if you've never trusted Christ, your judgment is eternal. If you were to drop dead today for whatever reason, you would spend eternity apart from God. You would not experience a momentary judgment. You would experience an eternal judgment. But you have the same opportunity for repentance that the rest of us have. Our repentance, in some small way, and I say our believers, as a believer, my repentance affects my eternity in a small way. It affects my current eternity in a huge way. Your repentance now, unbeliever, if you will trust Christ, you will affect your present in a pretty big way. But you will affect your eternity in an unquantifiable way. So what will you do? Satan's in the church. We know that. We have to guard against it. But this morning, I want you to know about Jesus in your heart. I want you to understand, unbeliever, that There's a holy and just God. And He loves you, but He will judge sin. And you are a sinner. You are willfully fallen. You choose to do it, and you're destined destined for an everlasting torment and judgment. That day is coming. You will experience that judgment. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came and lived on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, took your sin. And your punishment for that sin on the cross. He died for everyone and he rose three days later to prove he had victory over both death and sin. So will you, unlike Ananias and Sapphira, at least in that moment, will you now repent of your sin? Not that one sin, but all of your sins. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Place your faith in him for salvation by believing in Him. Then live for Him. Confess your life to Him. Put your life at His feet and say, my life is no longer mine, it's yours. Do with it as you wish. You have a decision to make this morning. I'm going to be down here on the left. Tom or Jordan will be over here on my right. In that corner. Maybe you want us to pray with you. Maybe you'd like a little more explanation. Maybe you'd like to catch one of us after the service and say, Michael, I I don't quite understand the salvation thing, but I, I need to repent of my sins. We'd love to talk to you. Believer, what has Satan put in your heart to work against what God is doing, to lie to the Spirit, to attack his church? What do we need to repent of? Now's our opportunity to do that. Come to the rails, lay it at the foot of the cross, and leave it there. Pray with me. I would love to do that. But let's stand and let's sing. As soon as Donald gets up here, and we'll do business with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that best we can tell, you don't deal with us the way you dealt with Ananias and Sapphira, certainly not with the immediacy, because, Lord, if, if you did, this would be an empty room today. There'd be no listener, there'd be no preacher. But, God, you don't. You have, for whatever reason decided to give us grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, and opportunity upon opportunity to repent. Lord, I pray that we will. God, I pray that we would see you before we do anything. God, I pray that we would see this as your church. God, I pray that we would seek you in all things. And God, I pray that this morning that we would see unbelievers, rather, those who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, come to that commitment today give their lives to you trust you for their salvation lord we ask for a mighty move of your spirit we ask lord that you would lead and guide in everything that we do lord that we would join you in what you are doing and that you would work with us this morning work in us this morning as we come to you and pray for your guidance and forgiveness in jesus name amen Donald lead